The COVID-19 pandemic poses an important threat to state Medicaid budgets and to providers that are heavily reliant on Medicaid. Some Medicaid beneficiaries are at high risk for coronavirus infection, and if and when effective treatments and a vaccine become available, Medicaid will be called on to pay for these services for tens of millions of people. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Benjamin Summers, a primary care internist and professor of health policy and economics at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Dr. Summers has co-authored a perspective article about COVID-19 and Medicaid policy. Dr. Summers, could you start by explaining Medicaid's current financing structure? How do states and the federal government share responsibility for Medicaid expenditures, both for traditional Medicaid and in states that have expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act? The traditional financing before the Affordable Care Act expansion occurred was a shared federal and state financing that had a specific match rate or a federal assistance percentage that depended on the state. So higher income states like New York, California would receive up to half of all Medicaid spending reimbursed by the federal government, while states with lower per capita income, and currently Mississippi is the poorest state, would receive a much higher match rate, currently as high as 78%. Now, that criteria remains in effect for how Medicaid pays for the care for people who are eligible for Medicaid before the Affordable Care Act. But in the 30-plus states that have expanded Medicaid under the ACA, they now receive an even higher rate for their newly eligible population. And this is the population of higher income, well, they're they're all low income, but relatively higher income parents and then adults without dependent children at home who traditionally were not eligible for Medicaid. And for those populations, states receive 90% reimbursement from the federal government. And that is obviously a significant increase in that federal support compared to what the traditional program pays for. What effect has COVID-19 had on state Medicaid programs and on providers who treat Medicaid beneficiaries thus far? Are they already feeling financial pressure? This is a rapidly evolving landscape. And so we're going to be kind of watching the status of Medicaid, the status of these healthcare providers that are heavily reliant on it, change pretty rapidly over the coming year. But what we know so far is a couple of things. First, we know that there already have been sizable increases in unemployment. I mean, the fastest rise in unemployment rate in decades. And this has left many people both without the coverage that they were previously getting through work, as well as with much lower incomes, meaning that many of them are now turning to Medicaid for eligibility for health insurance. So that's going to increase the cost of the program substantially and by design. Medicaid is set up as a social safety net program which always increases in importance during economic downturns. So that's kind of the first big factor going on. We see a lot more people signing up for the program. But at the same time, if we think about what's going on with the COVID epidemic, it's not necessarily the case that the infection and the epidemic itself are driving up Medicaid costs. While for the smaller number of people who do get seriously ill, many of whom do have Medicaid, the program is going to pay for that. But what we have seen in a broader sense in the healthcare economy is a major reduction in service use as hospitals and practices have tried as much as possible to reduce exposure of patients, especially high-risk patients, by deferring elective procedures, by putting off maybe non-urgent diagnostic testing, and by doing a lot of virtual visits instead of in-person visits. In addition, some patients themselves, even if their providers haven't asked them to put off care, are doing so out of fear of infection and trying to socially distance from the epidemic. So the net effect of this has been a major decrease in healthcare utilization and a lot of the traditional revenue streams that come into hospitals and come into 
primary care and other outpatient physician practices. So right now, a lot of healthcare providers are really hurting. Usually, we think of healthcare as recession-proof compared to other sectors, that people still need their healthcare. That's not the case with the current pandemic and the associated recession. We're seeing major changes in how healthcare providers are coping. And without additional support from Medicaid and Medicare, a lot of these practices and all these hospitals are going to be in dire straits. In your article, you describe the Trump administration's efforts to shift Medicaid to a block grant system. And you say in the article that the current crisis highlights a major flaw in that plan. What would a block grant system look like? And what would it mean for unexpected public health shocks like the COVID-19 pandemic? There are a lot of different approaches to implementing a block grant system. You get to set the initial allocation. You have to decide how much it's going to increase over time and if there are any built-in protections. But the essence of it is that the traditional open-ended commitment of Congress to reimburse a certain share of expenses that states incur would be gone. Congress or CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, will develop some sort of lump sum system that's either based on the total enrollment or just per state. And when the state runs out of that money, they're on the hook. Now, the argument for doing it is that states will then have every incentive to use that money efficiently. And in exchange, they'll be granted more flexibility by the federal government to run the program the way they want. But if we think back to just six months ago, there was very little way that Congress or CMS could have reasonably anticipated what's happened since then. In terms of the epidemic, in terms of the speed and the steepness of the economic drop-off. And so the idea of building in a lump sum payment that Congress has set often years in advance, seems quite impractical now. And as states are struggling to keep the program afloat, to keep their providers intact, the idea that they would do so on a flat budget, they would have no ability to absorb the additional enrollment and additional challenges of the epidemic and the recession uh, would be nearly impossible. And so block grants, under the best of circumstances, there are a lot of valid concerns about whether the program would survive in its current form. But clearly under economic and public health crises, this approach would probably make things far worse and would undermine Medicaid's ability to be a safety net in a time of distress. So what is being done to keep the program afloat? What steps have Congress and individual states taken during the pandemic to strengthen Medicaid? So far, the biggest change from Congress has been the increase of that matching rate in the first COVID-related relief bill by 6.2 percentage points. And this was done to last through September 2021. Now, that's a good first step. It is much smaller than most states and most independent analysts expect states will need in order to balance their budget with the increased demand for Medicaid. And so without a bigger increase, and the House of Representatives has proposed a follow-on increase, but the Senate so far hasn't taken it up. Without a bigger increase, we would expect many states to experience significant budget shortfalls, both because of the increased demands on Medicaid as well as other social services, but also because their tax base is shrinking rapidly. And so they're being hit with a double whammy. Without additional federal support, states that can't generally deficit spend are going to have to make significant cutbacks in the program. So that's the first thing. Some additional federal funds have been allocated, but states are going to need more. From the state side, some of them are already announcing that they are going to look for budget savings in the program. And several governors have announced their need to make these savings, but their goal in doing so is to spare the essential functions of the program. That's often the language they use. In practice, how easily that's accomplished? Well, that remains to be seen. And the other kind of state question that we're seeing explored is whether this is a time that states that have not expanded should do so. As tens of thousands of people in their state become uninsured and losing coverage through work, 
without the expansion of Medicaid, many of those people have no real pathway to coverage. If their incomes are too low for the ACA's marketplaces, they're simply going to become uninsured at a time when we want everyone to have the financial security that if they get sick, they can go get care. The last thing you want during an epidemic is people who are sick but scared to go get treatment. In fact, are policymakers in any of those states considering expanding Medicaid? The ideological battle lines on Medicaid expansion are deep, and the the epidemic has not overnight changed that completely. We are seeing some states, though, at least revisiting this. Medicaid is likely to be on the ballot as a ballot initiative in several states that have yet to expand. We also have seen some more incremental changes to how some states are approaching Medicaid. For instance, work requirements, which had been a very popular proposal over the past year in more than 10 states, The courts have set aside many of those programs, but Utah most recently announced that it was actually no longer going to pursue work requirements in its Medicaid program and explicitly said, basically, during the epidemic and the recession is not the time to try this sort of policy. So there is some gradual change, and we'll have to see whether it's enough to get some states that are considering Medicaid expansion across the finish line. But it certainly is a large part of the conversation going on right now in terms of state response to the epidemic. Finally, what other kinds of actions would be helpful, both short-term and long-term, to bolster Medicaid and to support healthcare systems and state economies in this current circumstance? Some analysts have proposed something like an automatic boost in the federal support for Medicaid if the economy hits a certain threshold, whether it's job loss or decreased growth in GDP. And that sort of built-in stabilizer could have two real benefits. One is the healthcare benefit that you get people more support for insurance at a time when they need it, which has significant health improvements and other benefits to them. And the other is that it's a direct form of economic stimulus, right? We're looking at Congress having passed bills in the trillions of dollars in terms of money they're trying to pump into the economy. Medicaid is a ready spigot for that funding. Unlike some of the other programs, you know, we've seen a lot in the news about this small business loans um, administration that has been run out of funding and beset by challenges as to whether the money was allocated in an appropriate way. Medicaid dollars flow pretty much automatically. You don't need new oversight or new infrastructure. The money will flow to the providers that are providing care, to the hospitals that are in need, to patients who are signing up for the program. And so this is a way of pumping money into the economy right where we want it, right where there are job losses, right where the hospitals are struggling and you don't need any new system to do it. So that's a real, I think, enhanced benefit that people often don't think about from the healthcare side, but is important as we try to keep the economy from careening towards a depression. Thank you, Dr. Summers.